privilege this morning of being able to tell you, continuing the story and looking at ways for us to continue to dwell in the Word. And this morning I'd like to continue this series by inviting you to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of 1 Kings, the 11th chapter. 1 Kings chapter 11. I'm going to read, actually read verses 1 through 13, but we're really just going to focus on verses 9 through 13. And I sure hope that you are making use of the Dwell in the Word reading series where you can continue to follow along with the story. Throughout this week, we encourage you to read along, go all the way back to 1 Kings chapter 10, read all the way through the 13th chapter. And one of the things that I do when I dwell in God's Word is I always ask God to speak to me. Every time I open God's Word and I break it open, I do so with an expectation that that I'm going to hear from Him, that He's going to speak something into my life that's pertinent to my life situation, the context in which I do life, and, and the place that I'm called to do ministry. Let's start with a word of prayer. Father, we thank You for today. Lord, I thank You that Your Word is true and that Your promises are true. Lord, we thank you that even when you make your promises, the sin that we find and experience in this world, even sin in our own lives, is not enough to stop your promises from being brought to fruition. This morning, we are just a reflection of the truth of a group of people who believe in you, who put our hope in the fact that you're the one who makes good on promises despite our sinfulness. So speak to us today through this story May your truth prevail in our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Follow along, 1 Kings chapter 11, starting with verse 1. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab and Amnon and Edom and Sidon and from among the Hittites. And the Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel. He said, You must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to other gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and in fact, they turned his heart away from the Lord. Now, just a hashtag here. They don't make a bottle of Advil big enough to cover headaches like that for me. Sorry, ladies, I'm sure it goes the other way too. Okay, verse 4. And in Solomon's old age, he turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God. He'd done the same thing other than than the way his father David had. So Solomon worshipped Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. And in this way, Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight, and he refused to follow the Lord completely as his father David had done. On the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, he even built a pagan shrine for Keshmoth, the detestable god of Moab, and another for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. And Solomon built such shrines for all of his foreign wives to use for burning incense and sacrificing to their gods. Now, this is the guy who's supposed to be the smartest person on the planet. Verse 9, And the Lord was very angry with Solomon, for his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. And he warned Solomon specifically about worshiping other gods, but Solomon did not listen to the Lord's command. So now the Lord said to him, Since you have not kept my covenant and have disobeyed my decrees, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your servants. 
But for the sake of your father David, I will not do this while you are still alive. I will take the kingdom away from your son. And even so, I will not take away the entire kingdom. I will let him be king of one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, my chosen city. May the Lord Jesus bless the reading of his word to our hearts and minds in this our Lord's day. Solomon was Israel's third king, and he was also known as Jedidiah, which is a name that means beloved of the Lord. And in his 40-year reign, he reigned at a time that is regarded as Israel's golden age. It was an age of prosperity, one with unprecedented growth and development in foreign relations and international trade and economic expansion, along with national unity. But in the end, his reign ended disastrously, and all because he simply chose to disobey the promises of God's Word. He began to oppress the people of God rather than bless them, and he multiplied wives and introduced pagan worship, and all of which he was instructed not to do. Just right off the bat, I see a little bit of J.R. and Solomon. Somewhere he'd forgotten that God's promises are true. Here's a little history. Solomon was the second son of David and Bathsheba, but David had other wives and had other sons by them. So many, in fact, that Solomon is only the 17th of 19 sons of David. And it hardly made him the next in line to become the king. But through the court inquiries of his mom and manipulations of his mothers and the support of David and both of which, which probably took a little advantage of David's old age, Solomon was crowned king against his brother Adonijah, who was really the person they expected to become king. And one of the first orders of business that Solomon gave himself to was to ruthlessly establish his power against Adonijah by having his brother executed just over a precept. And it would be an act, along with the execution and the banishment of all of the Agenitis supporters that would just plague Solomon throughout his entire reign, even though he would never go to war. The people from the north would be a constant nuisance and threat to Solomon in his reign. But despite all of this, despite this kind of behavior... Blessed and righteous behavior. I say that with tongue in cheek. Sinful, overtly sinful behavior. God still appeared to Solomon twice. Solomon experienced a vision from God early in his reign. And the Bible tells us in 1 Kings chapter 3, you can turn back there if you want, verses 5 through 12, we find him at the altar of Gibeon where he's offering extensive sacrifices to God. And twice the Lord visits him and shares this dream with him. And let me read this story in 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 5 through 12. Follow along where it says, In Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. And God said, Ask something of me, and I will give it to you. And Solomon answered, You've shown great favor to your servant, my father David, because he behaved faithfully toward you with justice and, and an upright heart. And, and you've continued this great favor toward him even today. Seating a son on his throne. O Lord my God, you have made me your servant. 
king to succeed my father, but I'm a mere youth not knowing at all how to act. So I serve you in the midst of the people whom you have chosen, a people so vast that it cannot be numbered or counted. Therefore, give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people and to distinguish right from wrong. For who is able to govern this vast people of yours? And the Lord was pleased that Solomon made this request. So God said to him, Because you've asked for this, and not for a long life for yourself, nor for riches for life for your, or, or of your enemies, but for understanding that you may know what is right, I do as you have requested. And I give you a heart so wise and understanding that there has never been anyone like you up till now. And after you... There will, come, there will come no one equal to you. Wow. That is a powerful passage of Scripture. And the Lord meant what He said. After all, a promise is a promise, and God's promises are true. Turn to your neighbor and say, God's promises are true. The Lord granted Solomon great wisdom. So much so that in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 30, it tells us that his wisdom surpassed all the people of the East and also of Egypt. And the Bible credits him to have written more than 3,000 proverbs and 1,005 songs. Now, I have a son-in-law who's a songwriter in Nashville. He's been there about six years, and he's written about 700 songs. And that's all he does all day, five days a week. And many of these have come down to us in the biblical books that have been authored by Solomon. Books like Proverbs and the Song of Solomon along with the book of Ecclesiastes. And in fact, leaders from the known world sought Solomon out for his wisdom and counsel. And perhaps most notably was the Queen of Sheba. And if you read between the lines just a little bit, you see that Solomon was was an excellent statesman. He, he demonstrated an unusual capacity to forge relationships with foreign leaders. Trade literally exploded underneath his reign, but it was this entanglement with foreign relations that really was the first sign of trouble for him. It led him to take too many wives. And though it was a common practice in the day of the kings, God had instructed his people in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 7, not to do three things. Deuteronomy chapter 17, God said this, The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses, which was a sign of acquiring military strength. He wasn't supposed to acquire a great number of horses or, uh, or to make himself or the people return to Egypt to get more of them because the Lord has told you that you're not to go back that way again. Their strength was to rely on the Lord. The second thing he said is, you must not take many wives or your hearts will be led astray. And the third thing that he told them is that you must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold because God was their inheritance. You know, when I read the Bible and I look at my life and all the things that I've screwed up, I can tell you that God's promises are always true. We're not. When God speaks, He means what He says, and He says exactly what He means. A promise is a promise. And His promises are true. And here's the good news. Everybody say good news. 
even our sinfulness doesn't stop his promises. It may prevent us from being the benefactors of it immediately. It might even skip my generation or yours. But the promises that God makes when he speaks are infallibly true and you can count on them. Solomon ended up breaking all three of these. He multiplied wives into multiplying wives. Solomon took so many of them from around the pagan territories that it corrupted him to a point to where he himself was constructing altars and fashioning gods out of wood and stone and precious metals for them. Even though God had told him in 1 Kings eleven two that you must not intermarry with them because they'll surely turn your hearts after their gods. Ladies, you have a lot of power. I can't tell you the level of influence that you have in the life of the partner that God's given you to share your life with. Scripture tells us that he had multiplied his family to such a point where he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Here's the problem. With the foreign women came foreign ways, and with the foreign ways came pagan deities, and with pagan deities came the construction of of other gods, all of which negatively influenced Solomon's own faith. And it just slowly drew his heart away from the instructions and the promises of God. And when I look at Solomon and I read this passage of Scripture, one of the questions that I have to ask myself is, how different are we? I mean, really. Okay, I'm not a rocket scientist. I get that. Okay, we're not Solomon. We can identify with that. But don't we all struggle with temptations of of this world? The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life? And it doesn't go away just because you give your life to Jesus. But the power that Christ gives us not only forgives us from sin, it does give us the power to live victoriously over sin. And it extends a level of grace that when we do fall, God saw the fall coming way before we ever turned back to him with a repentant heart to ask for forgiveness. I wonder what the things would be in our lives if we were to put our place in the line of Solomon and and this story was to be written about each of us. What would be the things that you and I have violated that was really responsible for drawing our hearts away from the things of God? The things of really focusing on his promise and living life with with a bold audacity and a resiliency that stands firm on the promises of God's word. Solomon had been granted the privilege of building the temple of God, something his father David couldn't do because there was too much blood on David's hands. And God told him, no, you won't build this for me, but somebody else will. And David becomes a great picture of the truth that we're trying to illustrate this morning, that God's promises are true. 
God had told David in 2 Samuel 7 that this Davidic kingdom would never depart, that it would be an everlasting kingdom, but David wouldn't be allowed to build the temple because he'd sinned too grievously. God's promise remained true, and David's sin still couldn't stop the promise. God just passed it on to Solomon. And now Solomon sins so grievously that he's told that the kingdom's going to be ripped out of his hands. But because of the favor that God has extended to David, he's not going to do it to Solomon. He'll take it out of the hands of Rehoboam, his son. And then from that period on, it becomes a disastrous history of ups and downs. It's a roller coaster ride of righteous kings and unrighteous kings. And it'll be over 700 years before a virgin conceives and gives birth to the King of kings and Lord of lords who would fulfill that prophecy. Solomon failed to listen to the warning of God's promises. His own lust, greed for trade, his fascination with things both foreign and pagan forced his heart to turn away from the Lord and he began to allow things that were contemptible in the eyes of the Lord. And of all of his sinfulness, I think that he himself participating in and giving permission for the construction of pagan altars, for me, it's one of the most self-evident expressions of how far his heart had turned from the things of God. So the Lord said to Solomon in 1 Kings 11, 11 through 13, he said, Solomon, since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I've commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son, yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but I will give him one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen for myself. Then he multiplied gold and silver. He solidified such a huge central government that it cut across the traditional practices of tribal rule where the tribes of Israel had ruled everything. He just took away all authority from them. And he engaged in a massive building campaign that included the building of a large royal complex and and a palace and then fortifications. And then he built the temple. Not to include the extravagant buildings. And it was a combination of a large central government and an extravagant life that was lived in the palace and the continuation of extensive building projects that began to weaken the national economy of Israel. In fact, if you look at 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 7, this is what Queen of Sheba said about Solomon. His kingdom was so noted worldwide that people came to observe it. Well, God said there would never be anybody like him again. In 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 7, she said, Your wisdom and prosperity surpasses any report which I have heard. But it took its toll on Israel. It was too much for Israel, and it was too much for God to endure. 
He'd multiplied wives. He'd multiplied gold and silver. Two of the three things he'd been asked not to do. And what this did was that it created a growing sense of detachment between the leadership and the people. Man, Solomon had 700 wives to contend with. And 300 concubines. And then he finally breaks the final when he, bra- he multiplies horses. And this is just a Jewish expression for staffing a large army. When Solomon took the kingship away from his brother Adonijah, Solomon automatically acquired enemies from the military commanders who had already supported his brother. And even though he never went to war, even though for, throughout the entire 40-year reign of his kingdom, he was at peace, he was always threatened by the kingdoms in the north. And so he, he created, he built this huge army with 12,000 horsemen, 1,400 charioteers. And that takes a toll. You have to create a system to draft people in to keep an army like that staffed. That's not including the ground troops. And then when you're, when you're taking young men away from families, that creates tension amongst the families. I come from a family who's seen a lot of their sons go off to war. And it's stressful. It's stressful when you know that the children that you brought into this world are going into harm's way in Afghanistan or Iraq or wherever. I want you to listen to the historical summary of Solomon's life that we find in the Apocrypha. Now, the Apocrypha is a group of books that the early church fathers encouraged the church to use for devotions. Now, we don't consider it Scripture. But in the book of Sirach, chapter 4, verses 14 through 21, there's a summary of Solomon's life, and I'd like to read that to you. It says, How wise you were when you were young, overflowing with instruction like the Nile in flood. Your understanding covered the whole earth, and like a sea, it filled with knowledge. Your fame reached distant coasts, and you were beloved for your peaceful reign. But you abandoned yourself to women and gave them dominion over your body. You brought stain upon your glory and shame upon your marriage bed, wrath upon your descendants, and groaning upon your deathbed. Thus two governments came into being. And we have the divided kingdom of Israel. What had once been a united kingdom would now be a divided kingdom. The story of Solomon is really an object lesson for me. As someone who fails to believe that God's promises are true. Man, I can see myself in it. It's also an object lesson that the judgment of God stands against those who live a life of disobedience and overtly choose to sin against what they know to be truth. Sin separates us from God. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean that God's not going to bring his promise to fruition. But I'm telling you, if you've ever had an argument with your wife or somebody close to you, the relationship doesn't continue till you bring things together. There's a division that continues to exist. And it's the same way in our relationship with Christ. What turns Solomon from the right path? That's a question that I've asked. Was it greed? 
Was it the foreign entanglements ignited by that greed and a desire for power? Was it corruption by the world, that greed, that foreign entanglements and admiration for foreign ways caused? Was it the inappropriate relationships and marriages that, that lust caused? Did Solomon really become a man that loved the things of the world more than God? And did lust and greed cause him to make steady compromises with the world? To a point to where ever so slowly, perhaps initially imperceptibly at first, he began to turn from God and trust in his own ways. And I remember somebody writing in the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verse 5, that says, Lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and let him direct your path. Trust in the Lord, lean not to your own understanding. The lesson of the divided kingdom teaches us that even while our sin separates us from God, from God's very best for us, it doesn't negate God's promise for us. Never. And that God always stands by the promises that he makes, and he makes them true. If there's any area in your life that you feel has separated you in your relationship with Christ, I just want to invite you in your own way, to invite the Spirit of God to search your heart and to confess your sin before Him and to know that the promise He extends to you is one of forgiveness and acceptance and healing. God's promises are true. Sin can't stop the promise. If we don't turn from our ways, it may skip our generation. But we can rely on the fact that what God has promised, He always makes true. Bow your heads with me in prayer. Father, we thank You for this day. Lord, this time together to look into Your Word and to look at the things that bring division. But to look at the promise that ensures unity and forgiveness. Lord, enlighten our hearts and our understanding. And this morning as we gather to celebrate the sacrament of communion with one another, may all that which has divided us be made low. May your spirit fill all and be all in all. And I ask it in Jesus' name.